Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good evening, everybody. Lovely to see you all. Uh, if any of you don't know me, my name is Richard. I'm part of the team here at St George's. And I'm very excited to be able to finish off the series um, under the title of Jesus Followers that we've been working through over summer. Some of you will have noticed we haven't had a Bible reading yet. Um, that, that's not a mistake, there will be one. Um, I'm going to be doing it as we go, so I'll read a bit and then talk a bit um, about the passage that we're looking at. So um, if you're wanting to follow along, we're in John 11, and the passage that I'm going to be working through is verses 28 to 44. Um, but before I get into that passage, just a little bit of background, so when we pick up the story, you know where it is that we find ourselves. So all of John 11 is about um, the death of a man called Lazarus. And Lazarus was the friend of Jesus, or a friend of Jesus. I imagine he had more than the one. He was a friend of Jesus. Um, and the, there's more than I could possibly cover in one talk in the chapter, so I'd encourage you to dig into the full chapter in your own time. Um, but just before verse 28, where I get to, I'm just going to tell us a little bit about what happens um, from verse 21 or 22 onwards. So Lazarus was the brother of two ladies called Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are two people that Miriam did a talk on at the start of this series. So we're bringing it full circle by talking about them again. And so Mary and Martha have lost their brother. And so in verse 21, it says this. It says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here... My brother would not have died. And so that's the tone of the passage. And they're talking about loss. They're talking about pain. They're talking about difficult things in this passage. A little bit further on, it says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now that's the definition of a spoiler alert for what happens at the end of the chapter where it says your brother will rise again. And then Martha then goes on to say, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha responds by saying, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. So we've had the death of Lazarus, and then Jesus and Martha have had that interaction that we'll pick up again at the end of the chapter. So it's after those two things have happened that we then pick up the bit of the story that I want to look at this evening in verse 28. So firstly, I'm going to look at verses 28 to 32. And these verses say this, I'll read them to you. It says, After she, that's Martha, had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm particularly struck by that final verse of that little section. I'm particularly struck by that final bit because what we see happen in that bit of the story is Mary come to Jesus 
exactly as she is. Just listen to it again. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So with her body as she falls and with her words as she speaks, she's bringing all that she is to Jesus and laying it at his feet. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm really bad at doing that. I feel like if I'm going to come to God, if I'm going to come into the presence of Jesus, I somehow need to feel like I've got it all together, I'm all sorted, I feel like I need to get all my stuff sorted, and then I can come to him. What Mary is doing here is the right thing, and it's the complete opposite of that. She's coming as she is to him. There's a little phrase that you can hang this whole talk this evening on. And when it comes to Jesus, it's this. You come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. You come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. And we're going to get into the not staying as you are a bit later. But for now, I just want to focus on the coming as you are. I talk to so many people um, about faith. Um, It kind of comes with the territory as a vicar. Um, that's kind of my job I talk to people about faith and I um, up until fairly recently operated on the assumption that everybody was after the the, the quick fix or the correct answer or just the witty little response that would answer all their questions all their problems would go away and everything would be fine and I um, was operating on the the, the false notion that obviously it would be me that would be able to solve all those problems and fix all those things for people turns out that's not true and so that it's not because I can't do that. It's because, other than Jesus, no one can do that. I was trying to do something that didn't exist. What I found more and more with people is that rather than trying to give the answers, what needs to be given is permission to do what Mary's doing, to come to Jesus as you are. And for her, this is in the face of the loss of a loved one, the loss of her brother. It could be that for some people here this evening, that's the kind of situation that you find yourself in. If that's you, you're welcome here. You're in the right place. And you can come as you are. It could be to do with the loss of the loved one. It could be to do with the relationship that's breaking down. It could be to do with the weight of your finances that you can't seem to get under or out of the burden of whatever it is. You don't have to sort all that out and then come. You can come as you are. So that's the first thing I want to say this evening from the first few verses. You can come as you are to Jesus. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to try and be somebody you're not. You can come as you are. It's what Mary did. She fell at her feet. She brought her questions. She said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You can come and you can do that. There might be some people here this evening for whom you're thinking, "That's, that's not relevant to me. That's fine if that's you, but there might be one or two of you for whom you just need to know you can come to Jesus as you are this evening. And so then we move on to verses 33 through to 44, the end of the story. I'll read a bit and I'll say a bit as we go. So from verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I'll stop just there for a moment. I am, when I picked this passage to to speak on, 
I, I was really happy with it because it seemed to fit into just really neat categories that I could just work through and be like, this happens, Jesus empathizes with people, and then he shows them the way out of it, done. And this verse was part of it. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And I was like, yeah, that, that's what we need. We, we, we need a nice Jesus who comes alongside us and gives us a, a big hug and says, everything's okay. But then I read um, some commentaries by people who are much, much, much smarter than me. Um, and they told me, and I'm not going to try and pronounce the Greek word. I tried about five times earlier this afternoon, and I butchered it in a different way each time. So I'm not going to try and tell you what it is. Um, but I will tell you that there's a Greek word there um, for that deeply moved bit. And the deeply moved phrase there, it's only used five other times in the New Testament. And in those other times, it's translated as a stern warning to sternly charge someone. In one instance, it's to scold them. It's more angry than it is compassionate. So there's an anger here in Jesus' response. And the difficulty with this anger in Jesus' response is that we're not told why he's angry. We're not given that information. We're just told that he is now scholars and commentators were given different views on this some have said that Jesus is angry at Mary and her response but he's angry at her lack of faith somehow now I think that's unlikely given how we've seen Jesus interact with Mary and other people at different points in the gospel Others have said that Jesus is angry here at the Jewish onlookers who are trying to turn this private family thing into some big public affair where everyone can look in and watch some kind of spectator sport. Some have said that Jesus is angry because he's feeling under pressure to perform a miracle. I find that unlikely. I don't think we see Jesus getting angry at any other points where he performs miracles. These last two seem a bit more likely. We're getting to the point in the gospel where Jesus' death is getting closer and closer and he knew that. So it could be that he's angry as that event is coming closer and closer. It could be, the final one, that Jesus is made angry simply by the presence of evil in the world that's shown up in the death of his friend. Now, we could have a discussion about which one of those we think it is. I'm not going to do that now. I imagine you'll be pleased to hear. Because the fact that we just, we don't know. We know that there's a word here that has got anger in it. But we don't know why it's there. And I think you can see from that why I found this to kind of mess up my prep. Because it just gets in the way of the nice, neat little pattern I had to work through the text. But the more I sat with it, the more I found it made some sense to me. Because I don't know about you, but quite often in, in my own life, in response to difficult and painful things, there are all sorts of things that we feel or do or respond with that we can't give a neat explanation for or a neat answer to. Maybe it's just me. Maybe in the face of difficult things, you're all perfectly rational and well-ordered and organized and can just move things, move through things in a sensible and logical way. I can't. 
And similarly, for those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus here today, when difficult things happen, sometimes we find ourselves thinking, well, what, what is God doing here? What I thought he would do, he doesn't seem to be doing. How is it that this is happening? It doesn't seem to make sense with what I thought would work out in the world around me. The fact is, sometimes, in the face of difficult things, we're not sure what's going on. And that's okay. You don't have to be able to figure it all out. You don't have to be able to reason it all through. You don't have to be able to say, well, it's because of this, this, and this reason. Moving on a little bit. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So there's the kind of confusing, not really sure response that we saw in verse 33. In verse 35, though, the shortest verse in Scripture, it simply says, Jesus wept. Now, if the bit before it was confusing, we weren't sure what was going on, this bit is a lot more straightforward. Jesus, God in human form, feels the pain of what living in this world can sometimes be like. He feels the joy too, absolutely, but in Jesus we have God in human form who knows what it is to, to feel the difficult things that go on in this world. And it's not just here. In uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is just before um, he goes to be tried and to die, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So if there are some things that go on that we're not sure about and are confused by in the face of difficult things, one thing we can be certain of on the basis of this passage is that God is there with us in that. He's with us, he hears us, he weeps with us when we weep. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. This is one of the key differences between following Jesus and any other religion, faith, belief system, worldview out there. There's nowhere else that will tell you that God came to the earth in human form and wept with people who were hurting. That's not taught anywhere else. That's what Jesus does. Now, I'm very aware at this point with a talk like this that some of you will be sat there thinking, yeah, this is what I need to hear. Some of you are sat there thinking, I'm doing all right at the moment. 
I'm not trying to make us all feel really bad and make us all get, kind of get in the box of feeling like we need to weep and mourn if, that, mourn if that's not where we are. But there might be some of us here this evening who need to know that Jesus comes alongside and weeps with us. So in response to Mary coming as she is to Jesus, we see in Jesus' response some things that we don't get and that we don't understand. But we also see the empathy that comes only from Jesus as he weeps alongside us in the midst of things that we don't get and don't understand. And all that is within the come as you are bit. Remember that come as you are but don't stay as you are. That's all within the come as you are bit. So finally, in verses 39 to 44, 38 to 44. You see the bit where we find out that we're not to stay as we are. So Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So this is the bit where we're not to stay as we are. And it's not because of what we do, but it's because of what Jesus has done. And I hope um, you noticed, if you're somebody who's um, familiar with Scripture and familiar with the the story of Jesus, that there's um, some echoes in what I just read there and Jesus' resurrection story at Easter. Firstly, there's the, the stone that covers the entrance to the tomb. Now Jesus says, we need to roll that away. And Martha says, we can't do that because it's going to smell. So in this story, with Lazarus, the stone is over the entrance to the tomb and it has to be moved away. But in the story of Jesus' resurrection, when we get to the tomb in that story, the stone's already gone. Because in Jesus' resurrection story, the, the resurrection is, is fuller and more complete than the one that we see with Lazarus. And we see that in the interaction between the two. Martha's responded by saying, well, there's going to be a smell. She's operating on the basis of the fact that, well, death is going to have the victory here. But in verse 40, when Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God, Jesus is operating on the basis that it's not going to be death that wins here, it's going to be life that wins here. They're operating on two different um, ways of thinking, ways of being. 
Martha is operating primarily on the understanding that death is going to win out. Jesus operating on the basis that life will win out. And it's interesting that even in the face of difficulty and pain and sadness, Jesus is talking about the glory of God here. There's always a time and space for talking about how good God is and how faithful God is in the midst of difficult things. And so then, after Jesus prays to his father in verse 43, he says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. And just reading it, we can kind of be lost by the miraculous thing that's going on here. Jesus has raised a man. He's, he's, he's walked out of the tomb. But he's still wrapped in the grave clothes and the things that they, they buried him in, the things that bound him are still round him. Again, fast forward to the resurrection of Jesus. And when the people who first get to the tomb go into the already opened tomb, the grave clothes are folded where Jesus lay because he shed the grave clothes and he's free of all that bound him. And so I think this is a bit of a a picture of where we can find ourselves. Because with Lazarus, the things that bound him are still on him. And he still has the new life that Jesus has called out of him, but he's still wrestling with the things that bind him. And that's a picture, I think, certainly it's a picture of my walk with Jesus where on the one hand I know the new life that comes with Jesus and yet I also know the things that I struggle with in this life that aren't of him. And the two things run side by side. That's certainly true for me now. But there will come a day for all those who follow Jesus where like when Jesus was resurrected and the things that bound him had been shed and he came out free. The grave clothes were folded in the tomb. So one day will all who follow him also rise again, free of the things that bind us in this life and to step into the freedom and the joy and the community and all the good things that Jesus has saved us for. I've got a little summary sentence written at the bottom of my notes. Um, I mean, what I could have done was tell you that at the start, and then you could have just taken that home. But I thought I'd keep it for the end. We can come to Jesus as we are, and he meets us where we are. However, he doesn't leave us there. He meets us there with the promise that over time and in his way, he will bring us to the new life that can only be found in him. So my question for us all tonight is, where in that story do we think we need to meet with Jesus? There could be some of us here this evening who really struggle with the idea of coming as we are. Who whenever we come to Jesus, if we do at all, we try and park a load of stuff at the side that we don't think we can take to him and try and present the best version of ourselves. Maybe this evening some of us need to know that we can come to Jesus as we are with our stuff that we've all got and know that he will receive us as we are.
Maybe some of us need to know that as we do that, Jesus meets us in that and is alongside us in it. But maybe there's some others of us in here who need to know that there is new life with Jesus. He meets us in that stuff, but he doesn't leave us in it. He calls us and leads us into new life where the things that bind us don't have the final word. Death doesn't have the final word, but life in Jesus does. Maybe there's some people in here for whom that needs to be the thing that we respond to this evening. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.